Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Well, welcome everyone to episode 18. And actually what we're going to do today, Pat, is a two-part podcast, aren't we? And this is part one. That's right. How common is cesarean section? And firstly, we would, we just actually wanted to start off with uh, saying thank you to a few people that are giving us feedback on the podcast. We're loving the feedback. Yes. And so this one is from Lenny. Um, and Lenny has written, fantastic podcast. Thanks for creating such a reliable source of information. We recently had a preconception carrier screening completed and listening to your episode on this made us feel much more informed. Thank you. So thanks, Lenny, for that. So oh, I think what Lenny's talking about is episode three, what I wish everyone, every woman knew before becoming pregnant. Yeah, it's great to see lots of people um, have um, had listened to that uh, episode because it's dear to our heart. Yeah, and we've got some more feedback, Pat, haven't we? Yes, this one's from... Uh, my brother, Mick, who said, actually, you guys sound pretty good. <laughs> so, well, thank you, Mick. Yeah, thanks, Mick. Oh, dear. Uh, so, Patty, have you got any little tidbits for us that Yeah, we're talking about cesarean section today, and I was um, I was super pleased. Um, during the week, some uh, new patients of mine came back. Uh, they're probably about halfway through the pregnancy, uh, a couple in their early 20s, super informed and super into all of the podcasts and socials and everything. And they had been watching our Instagram on the maternal assisted cesarean section. Yeah. Um, which was really great. And they, they brought it up and they said how, how terrific it was to see it and that th- that's part of their education that they're learning a little bit about cesarean section. Healthy 21 year olds, probably low risk for cesarean section, but you never know. And I think it's brilliant that they're factoring the possibility of cesarean section into their education plan for the pregnancy because you never know. You never know. And maternal assisted cesarean, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But if anyone's curious, it is on our Instagram. Just scroll through our magnificent feed uh, and you'll see Pat actually performing a maternal assisted cesarean with one of his lovely patients. Yeah. Um, not, not for everyone. Not for everyone. That's but, right. Yeah. Uh, but for, for that patient with her particular circumstances, it was really a, sort of a life-changing experience for all of us. The patient loved it. The, the theatre staff loved it. I loved it. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's actually coming back. Again, for another maternal assisted caesarean, perhaps. Yeah, how exciting. So, Pat, I'm going to put my hand up here and say that actually I didn't learn anything about caesarean birth in my first pregnancy because I really thought that if I ended up with a caesarean birth, that I was a failure. And in fact, for a long time, I did think that I was a failure after I ended up with a caesarean birth. And I don't think I'm alone. I think that a woman is often disappointed with her cesarean birth. You know, it's not what she expected. And some, I'm sure other women, I'm I'm sure it's not just me, feel like they're a failure. But do you see this with your patients? 
Well, the answer is yes, but some, sometimes people uh, do feel very uh, disappointed. I think that it, it really depends on the circumstances um, of that woman's particular pregnancy and labour. For example, if somebody is known to have a placenta previa, for example, and we've known for most of the pregnancy that a vaginal birth was not going to be recommended then she's had plenty of time to get her head around that and to understand the possibility to learn a bit about caesarean section and so forth. But when we're coming into a woman's first baby, most of the time it's not a planned situation. We don't know in advance that a caesarean section is going to be recommended. And in fact, it's something that arises during the labour. Labour isn't progressing very well or the baby's showing signs of compromise. So that's not the time to suddenly learn all about caesarean section and try and uh, incorporate that into our plan, which is why, you know, we think with our with our podcasts and our Insta and our program that learning a lot about this stuff during the pregnancy is a great idea. It can help you work out how you feel about things, try and get the best, make a plan to get the best out of the experience and then say, well, I hope that doesn't happen to me, but if it does, then I'm, then I'm as prepared as I can be. Mm. And, and I suspect that's part of the key to managing the sense of of disappointment and to perhaps coming out coming out of a of a labour where cesarean section wound up being necessary, feeling rather than disappointed or I've failed, feeling more like well that didn't go how I planned, but I knew that was a possibility, and it went that way, and at least I'm confident that that I've done the, the safest thing for me and my baby. Yeah, it's, it's about having a true plan B. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fully fleshed out, you know, yeah. you know, the twists and turns that it could take. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and part of that is learning about things that we don't want to happen to yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why I just avoided it, but <laughs> maybe that's my personality. But one thing that I did have in my um, thought processes way back then, we're talking 16 years ago, folks, but um, way back then I had it quoted to me that the World Health Organization sort of has an ideal caesarean rate of about 10 to 15%. And I know that's pretty, that well, it's a little bit higher than that. So, but what do you think about that? Well, that's a low figure by for Australian standards, for example, but I think we've got to drill into that information and find out exactly what they meant by that. I think that that World Health Organization figure is often sort of misquoted as being a caesarean section rate that we should aim for. And I don't believe they ever meant any such thing by that. What they were saying was that uh, if you look at caesarean section rates um, up to 10 or 15 uh, percent, then there's a clear benefit by doing those seizures that you reduce maternal deaths and, and, and neonatal deaths. But um, above about 15%, you can do more sections, but you don't save more lives by doing them. But that's not our only consideration, really, is it? Well, that's the problem, yeah, right, right. Is, that, is that these days in Australia in 2019, you and your baby surviving the birth is the absolute bare minimum. Mm. And there's a lot more expected of the birth process in in Australia in 2019 than just the mum and baby will survive. Mm. So the World Health Organization were making a recommendation that in a developing country, their seizure rate should be at least 10%. Because if it's not, women and babies will be dying 
in, in labour. Yeah, and we had a really interesting talk by um, Dr. Andrew Browning. He came to Ballarat and he's an obstetrician in, Amazing. in Africa. And, and, you know, I can see that 10 to 15% means less maternal deaths in that developing country. It means less obstetric fistulas, which is what he was talking about. It's yeah. just an incredible. So it's, it's something that is so vastly different from our expectations here in a very well-medicalised world here. Well, a highly medicalised world. Mm. So it is that the caesarean rate is rising, though. Like, you know, we're talking 10 to 15% is the bare minimum, but, you know, some places and hospitals sort of talk about it being a lot higher than that. Do you think it's rising? Yeah, I think it is rising, and I think that it's rising for um, a number of complex reasons. But I'm not seeing women set out to have a cesarean section. Very few. Mm, yeah, we're not too posh to push, are we? No, no, I don't think, that, <laughs> I, no, I don't think that's a thing. Honestly. I had that said to me once. Yeah, about well, <laughs> <laughs> by, by a very, very brave person. <laughs> I I don't think that's a thing. I, I, I've had, in 10 years of private obstetric practice, I think I've probably had one or two people say, I want a section That's because that's what I want. Mm. Yeah. And that could have been based on a real fear of oh, the yes. birth process, yeah. That's right. It it doesn't mean that for that person there was no reason yeah. behind it. That's got its own term, hasn't it? It's like tocophobia or something. That's a, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. fear that of labour. Yeah. Yeah, 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 which is a real thing. Mm. So that it's, not that the, it, it's not that that person had no logic behind their decision. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't see that that there's a rise in in anybody asking for cesarean sections. I think there's a rise in genuine indications, genuine reasons for doing cesarean sections, and we're not dealing with the same obstetric cohort that we were fifty years ago. So, there's no doubt our patients are older. Obesity is a much bigger problem, and the other things that it brings along with it, like like gestational diabetes. And there's also a different philosophy in the community these days about our expectations that things will always go perfectly. Mm. And and how we will be afterwards. The woman who's who's had the baby, you know, her pelvic floor and Yeah. Yeah. So a hundred years ago the community might have been quite happy with a low rate of of uh, maternal mortality and a lowish rate of perinatal mortality. Um but these days people expect every single woman to survive the birth process, and so they should. They often expect every single baby to, to survive the birth process, and so they should. But as we try and get our data each year closer and closer to perfection, the cost of that is a rising caesarean section rate. To get every single woman and baby over the line discharged, both in good condition, will do more seizures than they used to. Mm. Well, can I just go back to uh, increasing age, maternal age, because it's not just about fertility, is it? That, well, why is increasing maternal age a problem and be an implication for caesarean section? You're listening to The Kick with Dr. Pat and Bridget. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat. <laughs> we get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast... 
Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you, come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. Well, there's some data that suggests that um, we know that it's a little harder to get pregnant in the first place, the older the, the woman is, and that's um, something we've learned to live with and various um, uh, technologies have been developed to help us with that. But there are also things that can happen during a pregnancy that are just more likely to happen if the woman's a bit older. And some of those things are more likely to lead to cesarean section. Mm. And things such as um, the collagen in your ligaments and... I can imagine. I, I'm feeling my age right now and I sort of get out of the chair and I'm like getting out of a, a chair like a little old lady, but I'm only 46, so. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, you know, do 42-year-olds labour as well as 22-year-olds? Probably not. I'm not saying a 42-year-old shouldn't have a baby. Of course she should, but we might need to accept that for that woman during that labour that she'll have a higher risk of caesarean section. Mm. So I'm going to uh, just talk about things that I've seen coming through my Instagram feed. And that's sort of around the uh, birthing centres or particular groups saying that they're able to have a low caesarean section rate, 10, 15%. Well, why are their rates so much lower or their stated rates so much lower? Look, I think if a birthing unit has a, a low caesarean section rate, and good perinatal outcomes, then that should be that should be praised. I think that's fantastic. I think we do have to be a little careful, though, to make sure we're comparing apples with apples. If you've got a birth centre, midwifery-led centre, then that the cohort of women giving birth in that centre will be, to a certain degree, a selected low-risk population. And a lot of the times, if you're booked in a in a um, birthing centre with midwifery-led care and a low-intervention philosophy, then you might be removed from that program if you develop a significant complication during pregnancy and go across to a more medicalised public hospital birthing unit uh, where where interventions are more likely and where cesarean sections more likely. Now um, we're going to make sure that we're running a fair comparison. Bottom line is I don't think it's extraordinary if a if we have a population of low risk, of very low risk women, who, none of whom are obese, none have diabetes, none have preeclampsia, uh, none have complex obstetric histories. Where is this magical world? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So if we took this magical group, maybe a section rate of about of about fifteen for that group is reasonable. Mm. So uh, when people hear about that, they should be cautious about that comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that leads me to this question, which is, well, what do you think is an acceptable caesarean section rate? Yeah, it's, it's a complex question. I, I I try not to have a rate in my head for my practice. I try and treat each patient in front of me according to their own circumstances. And I try and give them the very best care I can. 
in their circumstances, regardless of how many sections I've already done on other people that year. I do, if people ask me though, I, I do say that I think it's quite reasonable that if you're having your first baby in Australia in 2019, it's quite reasonable for you to have a figure in your head that about one third of those babies will be born an unassisted vaginal birth. About one third will be born uh, as a forceps or vacuum, so an assisted vaginal birth, and about one third will be delivered by cesarean section. And I think that's a nice, round, easy to remember figure that people should have in their head. And it reinforces to me the, 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 the value of patients learning a little something about vacuums, about forceps, and about caesars, because these are not rare outcomes. Mm. Okay, and this- I would say that a lot of people actually just, they say they had a vaginal birth, but may have had it at, at forceps or the vacuum. So they've actually had an assisted birth, but they're still counting, oh, well, as they should, it is a vaginal birth. But I think that that can s- set the cesarean births aside as well. But actually, yes. it's a third, a third, a third. Yeah, um, I've, I've always found that a nice, easy to remember figure and also, yeah, a reminder that we should probably learn something about those other things. Yeah. And we're going to do an instrumental birth um, podcast. For sure. Yeah, because it is very important. All right. So that leads us into, well, why do women have a uh, cesarean section? Well, there, there are a lot of reasons why a cesarean section might be recommended and, and undertaken. And I think if we divide them up into the planned ones that we know about in advance and what we call emergencies, which are the ones that are, arise during the labour. And thankfully, most of those are not an emergency emergency. Yeah. It happens in a calm way where we come in and uh, I might come in and, and um, assess a patient at, um, at midday and her progress is uh, three centimetres and the labour doesn't look like it's going well. And then I might see her at uh, 4 p.m. And, and despite everything we can to try and push her along a little bit, she's still four centimetres. And we might give some more time and I come back at 8 p.m. We're still four centimetres. And that's a common non-progressive labour type picture. So that woman's going to have a cesarean section, but because it's happened during labour, it's classed as an emergency, but it's not an emergency emergency. You know, we've got plenty of time to ring theatre and uh, consult with the anaesthetist and get a paediatrician and go to theatre when we're ready. Mm, that that happened to me in my second sure. um, pregnancy where I was trying for a, a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean, and my time, I had just reached my time limit. And so it was, it was a very, it was classed as an emergency cesarean, but it was a very <laughs> calm emergency, yeah. the calmest emergency I've ever been in. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. And then there's a few true emergencies, something like a bad hemorrhage or a cord prolapse. Yeah. That's the, the lights and sirens jump on the trolley, scoot down to theatre. Mm. I did have one of those in my first pregnancy. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> racing down the, but that, it wasn't a prolapse or anything like that. It was just um, Dempsey had gone into fetal distress. So yeah, was, so the, the non-reassuring fetal heart rate trace on the on the monitor where the baby's looks like it's saying to us, I'm not happy, I'm not happy. Mm. That would be one of the one of the most common reasons for a sort of a lights and sirens, let's get downstairs and get this done. Yeah. So of those planned ones, a lot of them are elective repeats. A lot of them are women have had seizures before and for whatever reason are not suitable for a, a vaginal birth in a subsequent pregnancy or have been advised against it or maybe they've had two seizures before. So they'll just be booked in as an elective repeat. And then there's some problems related to how the baby's going during the pregnancy, 
um, common things like fetal growth restriction. And um, you might see that as an acronym, um, IUGR, isn't it? Yeah, IUGR. In- in, yeah, intrauterine growth restriction. Oh, is that how you say it? IGR. No, that was just me talking too fast. <laughs> it's, it's IUGR. <laughs> um, or we might have a situation where a baby is known, prim, a baby's still in the premature phase, but the baby is known to be growing very poorly. Placenta's known to be working very poorly. Perhaps the pregnancy is complicated by preeclampsia. And we just say, look, we, we, you know, this baby is now better off, better off out than in, mm. uh, based on all of the parameters that we've measured. And we're still only 32 weeks. And if we, and we know that if we break, break your waters and try for a vaginal birth, that this baby is very unlikely to cope with that vaginal birth. Mm. And so we're better off doing a plan, plan section. And that happens. And then there's conditions where vaginal birth just isn't possible, like a major placenta previa where the placenta covers the top of the vagina and the baby can't get out. And then there are some special circumstances where caesarean section might be recommended over vaginal birth, for example, for breach at term or twins, where vaginal birth may be possible, but for various reasons, caesarean section may be recommended. So that's all the planned ones. And then under that under that rough heading of emergencies, there's things like a non-reassuring fetal, fetal heart rate trace, which we've discussed, uh, non-progressive labour where we're just not, cervix just not dilating despite everything we can do to try and help help with that. And then rarer problems like a hemorrhage or a cord prolapse, as we discussed before. All right. So for those that... Um have already listened to our Breach Birth podcast. Um, we touched a little bit on how caesarean sections were performed historically, but can we talk about that now in more detail? Well, yeah, I think it's worth worth mentioning this because one of the reasons why caesarean sections used to be rare, and your grandma says, really, back in my day, hardly anyone had a caesar, was because they used to be dangerous. I remember a little story about that, and it was Mrs. Hill, um, and Mrs. Hill would always sit on the front pew at church, and every every year she seemed to add another baby, but they were from caesarean section. And um, being the good Catholic uh, family that we were, we would we would pray for Mrs. Hill with her yes, caesarean section. that she might survive. Yeah. That she might survive. So they used to be dangerous, perhaps even before, way dangerous even before Mrs. Hill. They hadn't developed spinal anaesthesia, so you had to... You had to have a general anaesthetic, and having a general anaesthetic with a on your back with a pregnant big pregnant tummy with a baby inside it could cause stomach acid to come up into your um, throat and potentially down into your lungs. So this was a complicated day day at work for the anaesthetist. Changes in circulation, all sorts of things, made giving an anaesthetic for a cesarean section complicated. And uh, surgically, uh, many years ago, the technique was different to the one we use now. It involved a lot more bleeding. It was more likely to need major things done to stop that bleeding. And it came with a risk of hysterectomy, which would mean that the woman couldn't have any more babies. So uh, wisely enough, they kept the caesarean sections for major, major, major problems where the Caesar, despite its risks back then, was a better chance than than the risk you might have been taking by having a vaginal birth. Of course, what's changed over the last 50 years or so is that we've fixed most of those problems and caesarean section, by comparison, has become incredibly safe. And it's one of the reasons, for example, why we don't do that many vaginal breech births anymore because caesarean section has rocketed up the charts in terms of safety and it's now safer to do a section, give or take, 
than to have a vaginal breach, breach birth in most in most circumstances, whereas 50 years ago it would have been the other way around. Mm. And actually part two of this podcast, we're going to talk about how to recover from a caesarean section. Sure. Uh, so we'll leave that there. But, you know, what actually, without going into any... Oh, I don't know. Maybe people want to hear the gory details. So if, you, if, if you're a little bit weak in the stomach, maybe just fast forward a little bit. But can you describe the process? Oh, I think everyone should know roughly how, okay. it's, yeah, roughly how it's done. All right, hold on to your hats, Be- everyone. Because, because as, as we discussed before, this is not rare. This is something that may well happen to you, even if you're having your first baby in your late 20s and are in perfect health with no obstetric complications. It might still happen. So how do we do it? If uh, we're doing, let's let's talk about a planned section. You and your partner will come around together from the ward to the operating theatre. There's usually a little room next to the operating theatre, which is the anaesthetic room. And in a seated position with your back bowed out like a like a stretching cat. Oh, hang on. There's one step that I always panicked about beforehand, didn't I? Getting the little bung in my hand. Yeah, a little yeah. drip in the back of your hand. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, sorry That's about true. that. Mm. Um, and then the anaesthetist will um, pop the, the spinal um, block in, um, which is a, a part of it that people stress out about. And to be honest, if you're listening and starting to stress about that, I didn't feel that at all. Like no, it they... feels sort of uncomfortable because you've got a big belly and you're trying to lean forward. Yeah. Um, they pop a little bit of local anaesthetic in the, in the skin first with a very small needle and then they wait for that to work before they put the, the spinal needle in. And people worry about the safety of all that, but that's actually the safest part of the whole thing. The the, the anaesthetists have, have perfected this over time. So that um, what that does is create a, a very dense block, much denser than an epidural. You know, we use epidurals for labour ward pain relief for a labouring woman. But for a caesarean section, we want a denser block to do an operation. So from about the nipple line down, you feel completely, completely numb. And is it a bit sick for me to say... I really like that feeling. Like you feel it go in and it just feels like this beautiful, warm feeling. That yeah. was for me. I, I, I'd love to hear if that was your experience, well, the people if anyone else has had a spinal block. Yeah. yeah, well, the people who like it, I don't often hear that from people having a planned section, but if someone's having an emergency section yeah. at the end of a long and difficult and painful labour, then the... Oh, yeah, that's bliss too. Yeah, the yeah. bliss they can get from suddenly being out of pain can be really something um, special. We're moving to the operating theatre and uh, once we've tested the block and everyone's good to go, wash wash the tummy down, put the drapes on and uh, make a cut, a, a sideways cut across just above the pubic bone, go down through the layers of the, the, the skin, fat under the skin. There's a thing called the sheath, which is a strong layer of um, tissue around our muscles that helps keep our insides in. And next is the, see the bladder, push the bladder down out of the way. Next is the uterus. Open the uterus, hear that <laughs> sound as we use the sucker to <laughs> suck the water around the baby out. And then um, uh, push on the top part of your tummy to squeeze the head out and uh, and then rest the baby out, placenta out. Close the uterus up in a couple of layers and do it all in reverse back up to the skin again. And as a woman who's had four caesarean sections, um, what you're feeling at this stage is quite a, a bit of sort of tugging pushing, pulling, but it, you've got no pain. No. Um, but it is, you do feel when the baby's finally sort of pulled out of your tummy, you do feel this kind of weight lifted. It's mm. it's a interesting feeling, yeah. Yeah, so you definitely pull, you feel pulling and tugging, absolutely, but it shouldn't be painful. Yeah. And the anaesthetist is there in your ear going, are you okay? Yeah. Feeling okay? Yeah, and taking photos as ours was. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that might, it must have been going well. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, um, so you know, so that's roughly how it's done. About ten minutes from uh, to get the baby out, and about another twenty thirty minutes to sew back together again. Yeah. Apart from like, I, I'm going to talk about it. It's it's the guilt or maybe societal pressure or or like what I had with the first two babies. This feeling of failure some women have, and we'll talk maybe about the emotional and psychological healing in part two. But what are there any other problems with having a cesarean? Why don't we all have cesareans? Uh, well, there's, a, there's lots. Yeah, that's probably a, a topic for another day. I don't think we should all all have cesareans by any stretch. Um, I just think we should know about them in case they happen to us. There are some risks from having a cesarean section. There are the risks of any operations. So there's a risk of heavy bleeding requiring blood transfusion. There's a risk of infection requiring antibiotics. There's a risk of deep venous thrombosis, a blood clot in your leg that can go to your lungs, pulmonary embolus, serious stuff that used to complicate cesarean sections back in the day. There's a small risk of accidental surgical damage to your insides, mostly to the bladder. And we've got really, really great at minimising those risks and preventing them. So, for example, we prevent wound infection very effectively by giving a single dose of antibiotics. We prevent deep venous thrombosis very effectively by using preventative doses of blood thinners from the evening of the evening after the caesarean section and each evening the woman's in the hospital until she goes home. Th- those complications are all, of course, much more better prevented than treated. And is that the um, little injection you have in your tummy? The clexane. Clexane, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... We've got a lot better at it. And um, those risks, whilst they're still there, are, are minimal. And there's, one, there's another very important risk that's related to women who have multiple caesarean sections, and that is that uh, the placenta in a subsequent pregnancy can become abnormally attached to the scar from the previous caesarean sections. Okay, not on the skin, down on your insides. So the more seizures that you've had... If the placenta forms at the front near those old scars, the more likely it is to become stuck there. So then you have another pregnancy, you have another baby, you have that baby by cesarean section, and it's super, super hard to get the placenta out. So what are we talking, I, I do like my stats, but um, so what are we talking about with the other risks that you talked about, like the anaesthetic yeah. risk and the blood clots and all that? What, what sort of, that's like an immediate risk. So what are those, what's the chance of you having one of those? Oh, all of them well less than 1%. Oh, right. Yeah, because they're prevented by good surgical technique, good anaesthetic technique and preventative medications. Yeah. Um, and for the anaesthetic, we, we hope to get our good mate on who's an anaesthetist very soon to sort of talk about that. Yeah, that's going to be great. So Mitch, you'll come in here with us and talk yeah. to us about that. Yeah, in our little podcasting room. He'll snuggle in somehow. <laughs> we'll, fit him in, we'll fit him in here somehow. <laughs> it's quite big. Um, and Ben, what about accreta? Because I know that that was my issue having four caesarean sections. I think we were sort of uh, aware of that, weren't we? Yeah, so we're trying to uh, – there's some, there's some better data now coming out about um, accreta. Um, and what we know is that the, probably the riskiest situation is a woman who's had multiple previous caesarean sections who's got a low-lying placenta that's at the front so that the placenta is actually sitting over the scars from the previous uh, from the previous seizures. And the more previous seizures that she's had, the more likely that that placenta is to be adherent. And so we're, we're sort of moving towards a situation. They're all things that we would know in advance, right? We would know how many seizures the woman had had. We'd know from ultrasound where the placenta was located. And then we, therefore we'd be able to use the data to say, well, if you've got those set of circumstances, your risk of accreta is, accreta is where the placenta is abnormally attached. It is so many percent. 
and it may be that um, on the day that that woman has her seizure, we might have uh, two two consultant obstetricians present. We might have worded up the anaesthetists about the possibility of major hemorrhage. We might have a cell saver machine in theatre which washes your blood so you can put it back in again. And we might have rung the blood bank and said, can you have 10 bags of blood ready for us and prepared a lot more for something that the stats would tell us would be a much more complicated caesarean section than the standard Wednesday morning Mm, list. It's list of yeah of of planned seizures in and out. But it's not that common. No, that's rare. Mm, rare. So we see it, don't we? And and I don't know whether it's a bit of a psychological boost for women that are having a cesarean or what it is. But we do class it as a major abdominal surgery. You know, we hear that. Well, I'm recovering from major abdominal surgery. I think I might have said that many times. <laughs> When I, when I wasn't helping enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. Right. Uh, is it major abdominal surgery? Look, I don't. Well, as someone who performs major abdominal surgery for other reasons, no, I don't think it is. Uh, I think sometimes it's called major abdominal surgery by people who are in an effort to try and drive the Caesar rate down. Don't have one for no reason. It's a major operation. Well, I don't think there are people out there having one for no reason anyway. And I don't think we need to, to scare the people who do need one by saying it's major abdominal surgery. If you look at major surgery on any part of the body, the, the further the structure that you're operate, operating on is from the skin, the more you have to do to get down to that thing to fix it. And if we look at, you know, the things that are major abdominal surgery, the things that make them major from the patient's point of view is having to push other organs out of the way to get to the organ you're looking for. So if we have to pack bowel out of the way, for example, the bowel will go on strike for a couple of days and mm. the person might be pretty sick for the first couple of days in the hospital. And how long the operation takes. If you look at caesarean section, we don't have to pack anything out of the way because the uterus is the first thing you get to when mm. you open the when you open the belly. Just push the bladder a little bit, you said. The yep. bladder a little bit down ways, yeah. Mm. The first thing you get to otherwise is, is the uterus itself. Yeah. So you don't have to go looking for it. It's a it's big, there. big full-term Ready. uterus. Yeah. Uh, open it up, push baby out and so forth. So, I mean, it's easy, <laughs> it's easy when you know how. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I worry about that term major abdominal surgery. I think if you asked most surgeons involved in major abdominal surgery, they wouldn't rate caesarean section as their hardest operation yeah. of the week. I think what we do need to do is acknowledge that that woman's had a baby um, and needs time to recover. Yes, yeah. and an operation. And an operation, yeah. yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to downplay it. I just don't think we should upplay it. Yeah. Um, I think we should be seeing it as, uh, in 2019 in Australia, a common, safe and reasonable way to have a baby if the circumstances suggest that that's the best thing to do. Yeah. Yes, I think what we need to do is just give women the time to heal regardless of whether, you know, they had a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth. This is where our, we don't have to justify having rest. No, Do absolutely we? not. Yeah. So rest is critical. But we'll get to that in part two yes. because there are parts of recovering from a section that are different to recovering from a uh, from birth. a vaginal birth. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to mention that in our Grow My Baby program, we actually have a template for the birth plan, which includes how to have a cesarean birth. It feels... I don't want to say closer to having a vaginal birth, but it, it feels like you're more involved in that birth. But we'll just briefly mention some of the things here so people know what they can do if they don't, you know, hopefully everyone comes on board with the Grow My Baby program, but if they don't, sure. um, there's things such as uh, they can still do delayed cord clamping, can't they? Yeah, so we do this all the time if there's a, um, uh, so delayed 
cord clamping is the practice of just waiting until the cord stops pumping before we um, before we clamp it, with the idea that the, the blood that's in the cord is better off in the baby than in the bin with the placenta. And usually that's still possible. I just felt a bit sad, placenta in the bin. <laughs> well, some people take it home and a few go to pathology, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, okay, re- good. the rest go in the bin. Yes, it's done a very good job. Well yeah, done, placenta. It, that's right. So, yeah, so so um, that controlled cord clamping is still possible at cesarean section as long as the baby comes out in good nick, big strong cry, and doesn't need immediate resuscitation from the paediatricians, and as long as the woman's not bleeding too much because the uterus will only really stop bleeding when you get the placenta out. So if it's a pretty dry seizure and the baby's in good nick, I'm happy to wait. That's something that people should know about so that if that was part of their birth plan to have um, delayed cord clamping, that that maybe they still can. Yep. So we also talked about skin-to-skin contact. That's possible too after a caesarean, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing with babies born by caesarean section compared to babies born by vaginal birth is they do come out with, with lungs that are wetter. They don't get wrung out as much by the birth process. And it's more common for for Caesar babies to uh, need a little bit of resuscitation before being wrapped up and returned to mum. And that's why at a caesarean section, there'll be a paediatrician there every time, whereas a vaginal birth, not they'll be on call, but not necessarily present. And it, that, that process can often be very fast, where we can have a quick, the paediatrician can have a quick look at the baby, once over, make sure the baby's pink, that the vital signs are normal. And then uh, we tend to wrap the babies a bit because it's cold, cold in, in the, the operating theatre. Mm. Yeah, there's reason, There's good reasons for it to be, be, be a bit cold in the operating theatre, trying to minimise infection. But um, pretty fast, that baby can be returned to mum. And if what mum wants is uh, skin-to-skin contact, then pa- the baby partially unwrapped, pop on mum's chest and then put a blanket over them, a warm yep. blanket over the two of them. Yeah, they come back to you like wrapped up like a little burrito, don't they? And um, you can just ask the midwife that's near you to mm. sort of unwrap them a little bit yeah, and so that pop them on your chest. To put their chest to yours, yep, yeah. Yeah. And uh, partner involvement also, you know, you, they're, they're still part of it, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I like the dads to try and do at a Caesar is to uh, be be down with mum holding hands, yes. <laughs> um, providing the support. Yeah, and I remember when when our youngest two were born, I I found that very strange to be down yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> to be down the head and. end of the table, <laughs> and sort of experiencing that mm. for the first time. I must say. I feel more comfortable up the driving end, but yeah. obviously I wasn't going to do your section, but you know what I mean? That we, We're comfortable with the things that we do every day. Yes, yeah. And uh, I f- it was weird for it me. It was a be- brand new experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, for the dad to be provide for their job at the start to be very much to be providing support to, to the woman, uh, especially during that weird, weird time at the start of the season where the baby's not out yet and patient woman might be feeling a bit anxious. Mm. And then, of course, when the baby comes out and is passed over to the paediatrician with their resuscitation trolley, dad should go over there mm. at that point and be able to sort of turn around and, and, and say to the woman, yep, baby looks good, yeah, yeah. nice and pink, pink sort of thing, and yeah. t- talk mum through that difficult phase where the baby's out but not in her arms yet. Mm. And then uh, we bring the dad and the baby back and keep those, keep the the mum, dad and baby together as a as a unit from, from that point onwards. And... Um we have used dad here, but we're just acknowledging that it could be support person, p- 
partner, female partner. Yep. 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 Whoever's with you. This whoever's, is whoever's with you. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Sometimes it's grandma, sometimes uh, same-sex partner, sometimes whatever. Yeah. Mm. All right. Um, and we did briefly touch on the maternal assisted caesarean. And again, in our Grandma Baby program, we've got a um, printout form on, on what your provider can tell the theatre about how to get ready for a maternal assisted caesarean because you there's a few people involved in getting sure. that through. It's not a... Not a um, everyday procedure. Yeah. So this is that. This is um, you know check it out on our Instagram. This is not for everybody, but it's a um, uh, it's a process wh- by which a woman undergoing a cesarean section does a surgical scrub at the start of the case. So her, her hands and are um, surgically clean and and then gloved you, up, gloved up and surgical gown, so that um, she can assist in the in the delivery of her own baby by putting her hands into the surgical field and helping the head out and uh, to, to literally be the first person to, to hold the baby. And it, it's a um, remarkable um, experience. And uh, as I said, it's not for everybody, but for the people who are keen on it, we've put together a, um, a document about how you could help to bring that about. But it needs the agreement of a lot of people, um, uh, your yeah, sometimes it's pushing the boundaries of the theatre sure. rules. Yeah. Um, it needs to be your birthing team and the theatre and yeah. the anaesthetist. And, but um, we hope that it's something that's, that's more possible for the seizures that are, that are not emergencies, the, the elective repeats where, where it's not a time-critical situation. Yeah, you've got a bit of time to plan it. And... Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's all that was on my list um, of caesarean sections. As I said, we're going to go on to part two and talk about how to recover from a caesarean section, but hopefully that's given you lots of information to think about. And and also it's about putting your mind to ease if it is that you're ex- expecting to have a caesarean or you've been um, told that you're having a caesarean. Or even for those, as we said at the start, the, the people who are planning their pregnancy, hoping for a vaginal birth, but being incredibly organised and learning all about caesarean section as well. Yeah, I hope that's the spirit in which people take this, that they say, set out, very rare to set out for this to happen. But if it does happen to me, I feel well-informed. I feel like I I have an inkling of how commonly this happens. And I feel like I know something about how it would go down if that's what happened. And, um, And I hope that that for people can lead to less of a sense of bewilderedness or, or, or disappointment yeah. if that's what actually happens on the day. Yeah. And now we're going to put, when this episode goes live, we'll put a post up on our Instagram, um, which is at grow underscore my underscore baby. Um, and just let us know what you think and, and uh, whether we covered everything, whether we missed something, whether it helped you. Uh, we are getting, uh, you know, really good feedback on, on how people feel that, that, that our bodies are helping, which is great because we love doing them, don't we, Pat? We do. Yeah. So, so if you haven't already, please subscribe um, and importantly, tell a friend because I'm sure many of your friends need this sort of information too. It's it's interesting, isn't it, how we all go along the same route together. If one gets pregnant, the whole group Absolutely. <laughs> it's like a cascade. All right, well, we'll go on to our next podcast and we'll see you next week. See you then.